understand and honor of God's word, a tradition that is handed down from Ezra, the priest in the book of Nehemiah. Psalm 93, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voices. The floods lift up their, their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. And Father, as we look at this psalm and go into the 94th psalm, we pray that you'd pour your spirit out upon this place and upon each one of our hearts, Lord. Might he be our teacher tonight? Might it be words of encouragement and exhortation that come from him? Lord, might we learn things that you would have us learn, that God, not, not learning just for the sake of uh, having new information in our minds, but learning for the sake of becoming more like you, of pleasing you in our lives, of learning how we can honor you in our lives through applying these truths that we learn, these tr truths that we see to our lives. So God, have your way. Be honored and glorified in this place and in each one of our hearts, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. We're going through a series of psalms here in... In the uh, fourth book of the Psalms, book four is a smaller book in the sense of having fewer Psalms than the others, but the, the, the series of Psalms that we're looking at, uh, for the most part, they, they don't have the inscription which give to us, would give to us perhaps the writer of the Psalm, uh, but we do, I, I wanted to kind of take a moment with you, even as we go back to the 90th Psalm, the very first Psalm in this book, we, we do uh, have uh, Moses as uh, the, the man to whom this, uh, this particular Psalm is ascribed uh, in the inscription there, the prayer of Moses, the man of God. But what I wanted to do, and in my Bible, I, I have um, you know, like, a, like a title to each Psalm, uh, a way that it can be entitled. It's not the Word of God, but it's what the, the, uh, 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 those who made the, your, your Bible I thought would be a, a good way to entitle it. So yours might have something different than mine does. But I was looking at, at, at these uh, uh, earlier today, and it was just uh, blessing me to see the, the various titles and just the way they all just kind of flow together. The 90th, uh, in, in my Bible, it's entitled, Teach Us to Number Our Days. You, you guys see that? Uh, or something like it, perhaps. In Psalm 91, abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 92, it is good to praise the Lord. Psalm 93, here today, the majesty of God. And then Psalm 94, vengeance belongs only to 
to God. Psalm 95, call to worship God. Psalm 96, declare the glory of God. Psalm 97, rejoice, the Lord reigns. Sing a new song to the Lord, Psalm 98. Psalm 99, exalt the Lord our God. Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. And it just goes on. And just great titles that, that really, they, they, there's a great togetherness in the titles of these psalms, which means that all these psalms are, 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 are um, intended for us by God to acknowledge his majesty, to give him the glory, to, to be filled with, with his joy. You know, I mean, th these things are th uh, uh, things that are just very important for us. I just thought it was a cool thing to, to notice that. I just wanted to bring that to your, your, to your attention. But as we look at Psalm 93, uh, again, the, uh, the, the title that I have here in, in my Bible is The Majesty of God. And, you know, that, that, that's what this, this particular title is all about, the, the reality of his majesty, but also the reality of, of him being our king. The Lord reigns, he's clothed with majesty. Uh, the idea of him reigning, of course, means that he is king. He, he has a kingdom, and he rules, and he reigns in that kingdom. And as we consider that, um, our, our Lord Jesus, of course, one, one of his names, two of his names that, that we know of, you know, that, that are given to us in the book of Revelation, he is uh, king of kings and lord of lords, Right? He as king, God as king, reigns. And he reigns over the entire world. That, that basically is what this psalm is, is speaking about. The reality of, of, of the extent of his power in terms of uh, what he reigns over, but also the extent of his reign, of his rule, chronologically. He reigns forever. He is our eternal king, right? From eternity past to e eternity future. He reigns. We'll, we'll see these things uh, spoken of in, in this particular passage. So, so the very first verse, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. So he reigns. He's clothed with majesty. James Montgomery Boyce wrote this in regard to majesty. He, he wrote, majesty is a hard idea to define, but it has to do with dignity, authority of sovereign power, stateliness, and grandeur. It is a proper characteristic of earthly monarchs who have often gone to great lengths to enhance the impression of their majesty by multiplications of trappings of power. But it is supremely the attribute of him who is the monarch over all and who does not need to multiply the trappings of his power because he has ultimate power over all things, doesn't he? Are, are you guys convinced of that? That God has ultimate power over all things? Over every, all, all people? You know, um, 
I, I, think, I think it's just such an incredible thing that, that he is that. And he has called us to himself. He has made us aware of our need. He's made us aware of himself. And in so doing, speaking to our hearts in relation to himself, drawn us to himself, saved us from our sin to establish a relationship with us. Just an amazing thing. And you know, I think many of us, many of us, I, I've stated this before, I'll, I'll say this again, I think it's been a while since I've shared this from the pulpit, but you know, I, I was recently looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, in the second verse we see that, that uh, I didn't include this in the notes, I'm just kind of thinking I'm misremembering, but um, we, we see Jesus, the, the, the writer of the Hebrews writing of Jesus, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame, right? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame. And I think it's easy for us to deduce from that that the joy that was set for, before him, even as he was enduring the shame of the cross, enduring that shame on that cross, he knows that what he was doing was purchasing us for himself. So that we and he could have relationship with each other. It's not just us having a relationship with him. He having a relationship with us as well. You know, it was his joy to do what he did knowing that we were going to be his and have fellowship with him and he with us throughout all eternity. You know, I think sometimes we just kind of feel like, you know, God is merciful and, and you know, he, um, I know that he loves us and he wants to bless us, so he wants to bring us into his presence. But, but as, if he's, as if he's only doing something for us. And, and not for himself. You know what I mean? But he is doing something for himself. Because as it speaks of Jesus, the joy that was set before him, that gave him the strength to endure. And as we go through times of trial, uh, this uh, next Psalm, Psalm 94, speaks of that um, very clearly. Um, but actually, no, it's, it's the remainder of this particular song, excuse me, uh, picking up in verse 3, when we begin to speak about the floods. Those are the, the hard things of life, the difficulties of life and so forth. But as we go through our own difficulties, we go through our own trials, we go through our own heartache, our pains and so forth, you know, as Jesus promised, in the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I'll, I have overcome the world. Um, as he... As we experience those particular trials, you see, there, there is also a joy that is set before us as well, isn't there? As we look ahead to what some would call the afterlife. You know, it's not really the afterlife. It's really just simply the best part of our lives. <laughs> it's the same life. You know, we're just going to be moving. We're just going to be changing addresses, so to speak, from this from this. Uh, uh, being housed in, in, in this dwelling, these tents, these bodies, to going into the presence of the Lord, you know. But that's the joy that's set before us. 
In fact, when Jesus, I, I was thinking about that with our sister Lois, who just on, on, on Saturday um, went to the Lord. You know, and uh, I've, I've said this a few times. I don't remember if I said it Sunday morning or not, but you know how we'll, at, at a um, celebration service, a memorial service, a lot of times we'll sing the song, I Can Only Imagine, right? You know what? She doesn't have to imagine anymore. You know, and for any of us who enter into God's presence and Jesus looks into our face, you know, and, and I, I, can, I, I just kind of see Jesus just grabbing me by the face and looking into my eyes and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he's going to close it by saying, enter into the what? The joy, what joy? Of your Lord. His joy. We enter in his joy through eternal fellowship with him. So that, 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 that's just so intriguing to me, and, and I think it's just a, a wonderful thing to picture in our own hearts and minds, the reality of that. That's what's before us. And so our king reigns to bring that as a possibility for us. And not just a possibility, but as truth for us, for those of us who have acknowledged our need for him and accepted Christ as our Savior and serving him, loving him. But he is clothed, as we see, with majesty here in the first verse. He is also clothed with strength. And then we see the writer writing, surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. It, it is so established, it is so uh, um, sure and so secure, it, it can't be moved, it cannot be shaken. That's another word that can be used for the word moved. You ladies are going to be hearing more about that particular thing this, this Saturday at the conference, unshaken, right? It's because of what God has done. It's because of who he is. And he has uh, established the world in such a way that things that he has established can't be moved. Verse 2, your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The reign of our Lord is eternal. This is speaking of the God of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh. And the way that, that the word Lord is written, as, as you see it there in your Bibles, all capital letters, it means that's his name that is written. Yahweh reigns. Yahweh is clothed. And in praying to him, speaking to him, your throne, Yahweh, is established from of old. You, Yahweh, you are from everlasting. This speaks of the eternal nature of God. The eternal nature of God. There is no beginning for him. There never was. When time began, he was already. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, right? John 1-1, one, one, in the beginning was the word, right? Already in existence, when time began, he, he, uh, um, he works outside the realm of time. He gave us time, as 
some sense of measurement so that we can make sense of things. But, but he, he operates outside of time. Psalm 90, verse 2, we looked at this just a few weeks ago. Uh, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So if you guys remember in math, I don't, I don't remember if it was algebra in high school or whatever it was, when the timeline, you know, the, the past and the present on this timeline. You know, uh, actually, I'm thinking about a math thing. It's uh, like the, the graph, negative numbers and positive numbers. But the same goes with, with time. You know, time before Jesus came, time after he came, and, and just eternity onward behind us and in front of us. There's just no beginning and no end in terms of God's existence. Uh, he was already when time began. And so this verse tells us that, that, that God has sovereignly ruled since, be, since before the beginning of time. And so it, it's just such an incredible truth for us to lay hold of. Um, let's look at verses 3 and 4. We'll talk about some things that are related to that truth. The floods have lifted us up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. The writer says that the floods have lifted up. These floods have come. The floods have arrived. These floods in reference to, of course, um, the various difficulties, the, the various trials and tribulations, the, the various afflictions that we may go through. And, and really the writer of the psalm, I mean, it, it, it could, could be David or, or one, one of his, um, somebody that uh, was one of his worship leaders perhaps writing this, but even with the idea of floods, you know, a, a number of times in the scriptures we see the idea of of attacks by the enemy, invasions by invading, uh, by, by uh, invading armies, uh, referred to as as floods, you know. And and for us today, it's not so much that, but just the idea of of, of trouble in life, you know, the storms of life, right? That, that that's how we can we can picture those things. Uh, but you know, we certainly are familiar with the idea of flooding in a physical sense. I mean. This past winter was an interesting one for us, wasn't it? So much rain in our state, you know, and, you know, I, I was reading on that earlier. I, I wanted to just kind of look it up a, a bit. And, you know, uh, during the months of uh, December and January, there, there were 22 people who died in our state through the floods that took place because of the rains. And there's going to be more flooding taking place as all that snow melts. That's on the Sierra Mountains uh, e even now. Um, I don't know if you've, you caught the news, but if you're planning a trip to Yosemite, don't go for a while. Maybe mid to late summer, because they're already closing campgrounds. Because the rivers, the Merced River, is above flood stage. And they expect it to rise. And they're not quite sure how long that's going to last. And so it's kind of a day-to-day -day thing, you know. But um, because of the... It's, it's been hot up, up in central, up, up in Northern California, uh, and uh, the snow is melting. 
but more floods are coming. But we know the dangers of floods. We know how powerful and forceful a huge uh, uh, body of water moving downhill and into the valley can be. We know how dangerous a hurricane can be as it brings the water from the ocean and then all the water from the, from the rain itself on, on, on shore. You know, every summer, we're going to see it again this next summer, you know, in the, along the Gulf Coast, there are going to be hurricanes that bring damage. And, you know, most likely, I mean, we always hear that, that there are a few people who, who die from those, from those floods that take place. You know, and there are a number of people from our church back in, back in 2005, remember Hurricane Katrina, uh, we, we, we send a few teams of people back to Mississippi to help with uh, the, the, the rebuilding uh, uh, and uh, just helping people, you know, feeding them and so forth as they're in these encampments because they can't stay in their homes because they're, they're all flooded out. And, and some of the people were going into the homes and mucking them out, you know, getting rid of all the mud to prepare them to be restored and so forth, you know. And uh, it's crazy what water can do. And so that's why the word floods is used in the scriptures to depict troubles in life. Because our, our enemy, our adversary, the devil, you know, he attacks in such ways that obviously he can do a great, a great deal of harm. But we see here, as we see verse 4, I mean, we, we saw verse 3, you know, the, the floods have come. We, we, we see the reality of them. But we see verse 4, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. Mightier than the noise of many waters. Isaiah 43, verse 1b through 3a. God says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Don't you love that? You are mine. You guys realize you belong to him tonight? You are his. Our God says, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's such a beautiful, beautiful passage. And what the Lord is telling us is that it's not, it's not that the floods won't come. It's not that the waters won't get high. It's not that the storms won't be with us. It won't that, it won't, it's not that fires don't come. They do. But God protects us from them. Now, he's speaking in a spiritual sense here. In a spiritual sense. Homes are destroyed. Lives are disrupted. But for the one who has his or her, or her faith in Christ, who is, who can say that Jesus is my anchor, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. In Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, this is the final, these are the final words of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine 
foot sayings of his, all that he said during this sermon from chapter 5 on to this time, and does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the, wind, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I want to point out to you once again that even though we see in the scriptures that God is spoken of as our rock, here in the context of this parable that Jesus speaks, he says that the person who hears his word and does them is likened unto the person who builds his house upon the rock as a very sure, strong firm, unmovable foundation. And that foundation is not the word of God. The foundation is obedience to the word of God. The foundation is doing the word of God. Because notice here in verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He's got the same word. He hears the same sayings. He just simply doesn't obey them. And living a life of obedience to the word, a life of obedience to God, puts us in a safe place. Puts us in a safe place. God protects us. So whenever the Lord tells us, uh, thou shalt not, Let's understand that he's telling us that because he wants to protect us. He wants us to be safe from harm. Well, finishing verse 27, and the rain descended, the floods came, the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell. Great was its fall. One of the things that the writer could have been doing is, is very, very well. I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. He could have been writing of, of, of the reality of you know, invading armies coming into Israel uh, from the outside, uh, uh, whomever it would have been. You know, Israel was surrounded by enemies, so it could have happened at any time uh, from any place, really. But that's very well what could have taken place. But Yahweh is mightier. The Lord on high is Mightier. F.B. Meyer wrote this. He, he wrote, He sits as king, higher than the spray is tossed, deeper than the fathomless depths, mightier than the strongest billow. Let him but say, Peace, be still, and the greatest storm that ever swept the waves with wild fury sinks into the tranquil sleep of childhood. As we see Jesus on a couple of occasions, crossing the Sea of Galilee, the, the, the storm raging, the wind blowing, the waves rising, the, 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 the apostles bailing water out of the boat, saying, like, like as in Mark chapter 4, Lord, don't you care that we're dying here? 
And he said, where's your faith? Because he had said, let's cross over to the other side. And if Jesus says, let's cross over to the other side, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get to the other side. Because he said, let's get over to the other side. So, yeah, we, we have to listen to what he has to say. But we have to be in a mindset of doing what he says as well. All through the Gospels, that, that's one occasion where we see Jesus displaying his authority as creator, as God, over nature. We also see in the gospel, he, he, he displays his authority over men, over demons, over sickness and disease, and over death itself, doesn't he? Now, the God we serve has that kind of authority. And he loves you. He's filled with all wisdom and knowledge and, of course, power and might. He has compassion upon you. He wants to bring blessing into your life. But he knows, he knows that the greatest blessing, and again, we were just saying it this, this evening, just desiring Jesus himself, he knows that he himself is the greatest blessing anybody could receive. Because as the God for whom nothing is impossible, who loves us so much, has authority over all things that can bring some sense of, of, of difficulty to our lives, he has authority over it. I think we ought to feel pretty safe. We should feel pretty secure. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through hard times. But it's not going to destroy you. Many of you have gone through difficult times in the past. Some of you are going through a hard time right now. I'm going through a hard time right now. But you know what? We're safe. We're safe in his hands. He's going to protect us. Not that we won't have physical pain. Not that we won't have emotional pain. But we are going to be spiritual, spiritually safe. Always his. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So the, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. This is our God who calls us to himself. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In John 16, 33, of course, I quoted this already. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus is our overcomer. This 93rd Psalm describes the majesty of God, the majesty of Jesus. This is the one who overcomes for us. Let's rest in him tonight. In the closing proclamation, verse 5, your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Holiness adorns your house, O Yahweh, 
forever. You know, one of the things I think is important for us always to remember when we're reading the Psalms, um, any place in the Old Testament, really, because of the reality of the fact that God had brought his people into the promised land uh, in the midst of other nations that were worshiping other gods that are not gods at all, we know, false gods, but they had names, and of course, Yahweh is named, and so, so often we see that when his name is used, uh, it, it's like this, like this fifth verse, holiness adorns your house, O Lord, and no other name could fit here, because it's only the name of the one and true living God, the God of Israel, for whom this is, this is true. Holiness adorns his house forever. So holiness is an important thing to God. But th this is a proclamation of who God is. Their testimonies are very sure. They are true. They always will be true. They always hit the mark. When we see people today who speak about the testimonies of God, the word of God being old and ancient and irrelevant, no. They're very sure. They're right on. We know that they fit. I mean, we who know him know that the Holy Spirit informs us in that. He causes us to see the, the reality of it. He gives us a good understanding of life around us. Uh, gives us a good worldview by which we can look at the world and not be shaken by the things that we see because of the truth of God. Holiness forever and ever. Let, let's move on to, to Psalm 95 now. This is a bit longer, uh, 23 verses. Um, we will be able to get this uh, get through this in plenty of time tonight. I want to read verses 1 through 7. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, that's something familiar to us, isn't it? O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Take note of the repetitions that take place, especially here in these first three verses, which is a very common uh, um, a practice among poets at this time uh, uh, in, in uh, that part of the world. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Re render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Vengeance belongs to God. In Jeremiah 51, verse 56, the second part of that uh, verse says, For the Lord is the God of recompense. He will surely repay. That's basically what recompense means. He, he, he pays out what is, what is due. If, if, if someone does something that is worthy of uh, judgment, judgment will come. He's a God of recompense. He, recompense. he surely will repay. 
uh, and, and this is the verse that is quoted several, a couple times in the New Testament that we're familiar with. Uh, uh, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. God is a God of recompense. Um, and, and then we see here that, that, that the writer is pleading with God to, to, to rise, uh, to rise up. And basically what he's saying is, is do something. Um, rise up from your inactivity, God. You're, you're not doing, doing anything about this because he, he sees here that, that, the, that the wicked, the, uh, those who are opposing God, it just looks like they're getting away with it and God's not doing anything about it. Do something, God. You know, I mean, this is something that's very common throughout the, um, throughout the Psalms that we've been going through. And as we look through this, guys, it's, it's, it's important for us to realize that, that as we see these things taking place, as these things are being written, you know, it's not like God is too late in doing things. That's just the heart and the attitude of, of, of the writer. It just seems like you're doing nothing. But, you know, and, and I've spoken to people who feel that way about or who've expressed that about God, you know, that he's not answering my prayers. Have you ever felt like God's not answering your prayer? I think most all of us have felt like that at least a few times. Well, just because we don't see anything doesn't mean that he's not doing something. Especially in the area of the lives of people around us. Um, when we're praying for, some, for someone, something that we know needs to take place in that person's life, and, and by the way, something I've learned in my many years with the Lord, is that, you know, I, I have stopped telling God what I think ought to happen. You know, because when I have that kind of mindset, where I'm kind of, well, Lord, you know, I, I, for example, um, gosh, it's been like six years now, it's been over six years now since... Uh, my daughter Tracy got right with the Lord, and she married Ian, and Ian got saved, and they got married. That I mean, it's just a tremendous story. We don't we don't have time to really get into it. Those of you who uh, most of you under don't know that story, but the two of them were seeing each other. Tracy, being uh, basically a, a backsliding believer, and Ian being a New Ager. I mean, just really, in a very real sense, just a flaming new ager. Um, my thought was, I hadn't met him, never saw him, um, but I was thinking, you know, Lord, he does not, my daughter does not need to be seeing this new ager guy. He's just going to draw her further and further and further away from the Lord. From, from you. You know, it's like, this is not what he needs. Get him out of her, her life. That was my prayer. You know how we'll do something. We just tell God what he needs to do, right? Um, <laughs> and then we get word of this incredible thing, and we don't have time to tell the story, but an incredible work of God causing Ian to see the reality of who he is and he invited him into his life, Ian gets saved. 
And then he's telling Tracy, we got to go visit your mom and dad. we got to go see them. He knows that I'm a pastor. He knows that we've been serving the Lord. He wants to come talk to us about Jesus, you know. And Tracy's kind of going, oh, I don't know if I really want to, you know, I'm not ready for this, I don't think. And, and so he uh, asked, well, let's start reading the Bible together. So Tracy gets her Bible out that she has marked up in the margins of, of, of the Bible and all with, with notes that she's taken and references and so forth. And as she's reading them, the same Holy Spirit who spoke to her heart then is speaking to her heart again as they're reading through the word, and she's just, they, she comes, she gives her heart to the Lord too. This all began on Monday, in, in, uh, of, actually it was Labor Day week, September of uh, 2016. Yeah. And um, on Monday that started happening, by, by Wednesday we're getting a call from them saying they want to come visit uh, and Thursday they arrive. They want to get married. We were talking about me marrying them and so forth, but with them living in Arizona, all this stuff, they, they, they just found somebody to marry them. And that weekend, there was a men's retreat. We were having a men's retreat, and uh, Jeanette was teaching at a women's retreat. Tracy went with her. Ian came with us. And they're spending their weekend that they got married, separated because, well, they're going to these retreats. Just an incredible story. You know, and it's like, well, and then, and then after thinking of it, I mean, one, I got, I got, I was, uh, felt bad because I never even thought about praying for Ian. Never even occurred to me. Yeah, I was just so focused on my, my daughter, just worried about her, concerned for her, you know. That's what my focus was. You know, just this father protection thing, just get rid, get, get him out, Lord, just get rid of him. I want to protect her. Well, he saved Ian, brought her back, and, and there they were, you know. And, and But then I was thinking, yeah, well, well, he did get him out of her life. He, he changed him, made him a new creation in Christ Jesus. So, yeah, he got him out of his life. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. You know, we, we, we'll tell God what he needs to do. And, and, and here in verse 2, we see that as, as he says, rise up, he's just asking God to do something to, like he says, render punishment to the proud. Now, we know that God's going to do that in the end. You know, so, you know, as we might pray that prayer, one of the things God might say is, well, aren't you glad that I didn't render punishment to you before you got saved? You know what I mean? We obviously need to pray for the unbelievers, you know, um, I was reading something about one particular New Ager. Uh, well, um, I, I was sent an article by, by uh, Steve. Uh, Steve Zamorano sent me an article about Carlos Santana. I mentioned him on Sunday being a, a New Ager and all. He sent me an, uh, an article about, written about him and other New Agers and so forth. But just the idea that, you know, we, you know, we need to be praying for him, and we do. You know, th these are sincere people who have a heart for people, and they're doing what they think is best for other people in saying what they say and doing what they're doing. And, you know, I mean, it, there's, there's a sincerity and a kindness from their own hearts. Misdirected like crazy, yes. But, you know, I mean, it's not like, not like they want to destroy people. We need to be praying for them. 
How long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Well, that's a very familiar phrase that we see in the Psalms. They utter speech, speak insolent things. And, and here we see the writer just speaking about some of the things that they do. Um, and how, verse 4, they boast in themselves. Uh, verse 2, render punishment to the proud. The same reference, those who are proud, those who are boasting in themselves. And, and then he speaks about how they, they are destroying God's people, afflicting God's heritage, uh, slaying the widow and stranger, murdering the fatherless. But they don't think God cares. They, they, they say the Lord doesn't see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Basically accusing God of just simply not caring. And whether they're atheists or not, perhaps they are just agnostic, thinking that God got everything rolling, now he's stepping back and he's not involved in anybody's life anymore. You know, um, whoever it is, they think that he's just not going to take notice. Well, verse, verse 8 to 11. Understand you senseless among the people and you fools. When will you be wise? That's a good question. When will a fool be wise? When he stops being a fool, I guess. He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. He understands, he sees, he hears, he instructs, he does. And verse 8, understand you senseless among the people, you, you fools, when will you be wise? The word senseless and the word fools in the Hebrew language, it's the same word. And the sense of that word, it really gives a sense of stupid. In fact, the uh, NASB translates this verse, Pay heed, you senseless among the people, and when will you understand, stupid ones? Now this is one word that is in the Bible that we teach our little children not to use. <laughs> right? Um, when God uses it, it's okay. These people are just stupid. You know, one of the things, I, you guys have heard me say this, you know, just in regard to what goes on in our world around us, and everybody having their own agenda, having their own things that they want to see accomplished, you know, and I, I just think that, you know, when, when people get an agenda, they get stupid. Because they don't have, things don't make sense to them. I mean, things, they don't have any common sense. Because if they really think about this agenda they want to uh, uh, make happen, and the, the natural way things are going to progress from that point, you know, it's like, you know, it's just crazy. And we don't have time to go into any of those things. But that's what happens. You know, Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. And then we see in the New Testament, in relation to this 11th verse, the, no the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile. Um, 
1 Corinthians 3, 19 and 20. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Quoting from this verse here. Um, in that passage where we see that, God, that, that, that Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, is speaking about not only that the wisdom of the world is foolish, foolishness to God, but to, to the world, God's wisdom is foolishness to them. Because they just don't understand it. Now, God does understand it, and he sees the foolishness of it, and he knows the thoughts of the wise that they're just futile, they're empty, they're, they're, they're vain. Verse 12, blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. Let's pause a moment right there. Blessed is the one whom you instruct and teach out of your law, O Lord. You know, just the fact that we are able to open up God's word, we're able to join together like we are tonight to talk about God's word, to hear from him. He speaks to, to our heart. We receive instruction from him. We receive teaching from him, uh, from, from his testimonies, from his law, from his word. And we are blessed people, aren't we? We're blessed that God has given us a desire to hear the word, to read the word, to know and understand the word. We're blessed. We're blessed that in receiving instruction, we want to know what it means and and we ask the Holy Spirit, and he teaches us. He gives us understanding. He opens the eyes of our hearts. We receive instruction. Now, if we didn't receive instruction, we would be fools. But we do, and, and we're blessed. Notice we're not called wise there. We're just called blessed, how blessed the people are who receive instruction from the Lord. In verse 13, that you may give him Rest from the days of adversity. This is one blessing from the word of God. Until the pit is dug for the wicked. We know that they've got an end. Those who are wicked. And we may pray for them that they may come to an understanding of who God is. But if they never do, their end is not one that we would want anybody to experience. Um, for the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance, but judgment will return to righteousness and all the upright in heart will follow. Uh, this speaks of the reality that judgment is going to come. You know, we are blessed to receive instruction. We're taught. We look at what God has to say. We do our best to follow it. We've got God's spirit to help us, to give us the, the ability, the, empower, the empowerment to do what God says. For those who um, don't want to hear, well, judgment is coming. God is going to bless us. He's not going to cast us off. He's not going to forsake us. We know that, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We know that to be true. Psalm 37, 34 says, Wait on the Lord, keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. So the reality of, of the blessing that we have as his people, but the reality of those who aren't, don't belong to him will be 
cut off. The reality of spiritual warfare. Verse 16, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. So as he writes, who will rise up for me? He's saying that there's nobody around who will rise up, except for the fact in verse 17, unless the Lord had been my help, right? The Lord is the one who rose up for him. Now, earlier he said, rise up, O Lord. Now he's saying, who will rise up for me? It's only God who will. Only God who can really rise up for us. Now, we get plenty of help from people around us, but by and large, especially in the context of us as as members of Jesus' church, you know, the help comes to us from God through his people. That's how we receive help. So there are actual people who do it, who will come to my aid. Well, somebody who's directed by the Lord to come give that aid, to come give that help. You know, that, that's kind of the answer. But the, unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would, would soon have settled in silence. I, I, I would have stopped asking, but he came. He came to help. If I say my foot slips, your mercy will hold me up, O Lord. God's mercy. When we have a need, we're about to fall. He causes us to rise up. He holds us up. And it's an act of mercy on his part. You know, something that he should do, nothing that, not something that he needs to do, but it's something that he does as an act of mercy toward his children. And I love verse 19. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. The God of all comfort. First, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God of God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Boy, it's such a truth. You know, we go through afflictions of various kinds. We go through various kinds of pain. The Lord's with us. He brings us comfort. And now we are equipped to bring comfort to other people who are going through those same kinds of situations because the Lord got us through it and the Lord's going to use us to get them through it. And maybe the Lord got us through it by somebody else who had gone through the same kind of a thing previously. You know, and that, that, that's, that's how it works within the body of Christ. You know, um, I'm spending, uh, you guys know what's going on with me and my wife and, and all, and what she's going through. Um, Pastor Chuck Woolley out in, um, um, can't think of, out in the park, Cathedral City, Cathedral City. Um, he lost his wife. Uh, she, she, uh, she passed away. She went to be with the Lord about four years ago. And uh, I, I'm, I'm getting with him on a monthly basis, you know, just to talk to him. You know, um, his wife, Wanda, precious, precious saint, in her final year, she had dementia. And um, I'm going through similar things that he went through. 
you know, and he's four years down the road from it. And uh, it's been a blessing for me to be able to spend time with him. You know, I'll tell him stuff, and he knows right where, where I'm coming from. You know, he understands. And, um, you know, we're able to minister to each other. We, we truly are. But, uh, you know, um, that, that's, that's, my, um, that's my time. You know, we, we have that, that, that ministry, the grief ministry. Um, that's mine right at this point. You know, and um, I've always loved Chuck, and he's, he's, he's always been a blessing to my, my life. And uh, just recently, well, not that long ago, we, maybe about a year ago, we started uh, spending time together like this. But uh, it's been a blessing to me. But this verse is so true. And that the, 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 the truth of this verse is what makes our grief ministry our, uh, one that, is a blessing because people who have been through that and been comforted by God are able to comfort others as well. Let's finish off with verses 20 to 23. Shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law have fellowship with you? Speaking to God, of course. You see how you is capitalized. They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. So basically he's saying here that, you know, there, there's just no way that any fellowship can take place between the throne of iniquity and the throne of righteousness. Really. He's talking about the, the, the king of each one of the kingdoms that we have to do with, the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God. That's what we, that, that's what we see right here. Um, and in verse 22, but the Lord has been my defense. But God, right? But God. All these things are taking place, but God is my defense. God is my refuge. My God is the rock of my refuge. <coughs> Excuse me. As we see these truths, guys, always lean on the Lord to be your defense. Always run to Him to be your place of safety, your hiding place, a place where you can be covered by Him. You know, being hidden within his pavilion. You know, uh, so many different uh, ways that you can say that as, as we read through it, in the, uh, read it through the scriptures. But this is who God is. He's our defense. The, the, the wicked are going to be cut off. And I, I, think, I just want to challenge you guys tonight. You know, as we have seen the reality of God's judgment on the wicked... We also see the reality of God's blessing for those who are his, you know, that, that he's our refuge, he's our defense, he's, he, he's what we really need. It, it, it's, it's him. He's our protection. And we've talked already about who he is and, and his power and all, his, his, his uh, eternal sovereignty and all these things that we, we, we speak of him. And, and as I stated before, it can really be something that, that causes us to feel safe tonight. 
reality of who he is for us. You know, Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Does that make you feel safe? Does it? I pray so. It really should. And later on in that same passage, in verses 38 and 39, we see, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? That there's nothing that this world will bring, can bring, to bring separation between you and your God? His love will endure forever for you. Nothing can separate you from the love of your God. Nothing. No created thing. Some people might say, well, you know, we can run away from it. Well, can we be? We're a created thing. No created thing can do that. That's my case. I feel safe with him. He's my protector. My defense, my rock, my refuge, my hiding place my place of safety. I pray that he's that place for all of us, every one of us, because, you know, we may be going through a trial right now, but there's, and, and we'll get through it, but there's going to be another one coming. And there, I mean, you know, and whether it's going to be harder or easier, I don't know, that's, that's up to him. That's up to the Lord. He knows, he knows us. He knows how best to conform us to the image of his son. That's really what this is all about. Us becoming more and more Christ-like. That we can bring him honor and glory through the way that we live our lives. The way that we live our lives. But you know, guys, let's hang on to these truths. These truths of who God is, who Jesus is. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is your defense. He is your refuge. Let's make sure that we hide ourselves in him. And Father, give us the strength and wisdom and knowledge to do that. Lord, just simply to hang on to you as the one, as the only one who can be our help. Unless you had been our help, we would have, we would have been lost, Lord. But you are our help. You've done so much for us and will continue to do it. You'll never leave us, God. Thank you for that truth. And each one of us who are going through a trial right now, Lord, we just thank you that you have made yourself available to us. That we can speak to you any time. We can speak to you any place, in any situation. Your ear has been bent toward us and we cry out to you. Thank you for your help. Thank you for your life. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the joy and the peace and the hope and the love, Lord, that you have get given to us. And God, we just cry out to you. Have your way, we pray. Strengthen us through the difficulties that we now are facing. Strengthen us so that we will not fail 
to bring honor and glory to you in the midst of it. That's our desire, Lord, to bring you glory. So strengthen us, God, we pray. Lord, we look forward to that time ahead of us when you will look into our eyes and tell us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Can't wait for that, Lord. And so, God, have your way. Be glorified in this place and in every heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all